Full Service Radio is proudly supported and hosted by Simplecast, the easiest way for a podcast creator to publish and distribute audio on the internet. For more information, visit Simplecast.com. Full Service Radio. Welcome to Windows Seat, broadcasted on Full Service Radio, live from the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C. Uh, we are presented by the Adams Morgan Youth Leadership Academy, also known as Amila. I am one of your hosts, Omari, Omari Francis. My other host is on vacation. He's, he's in his seventh week of vacation. I don't know who he think he is. <laughs> we miss you, Chris. Yeah, we miss you, Chris, man. Bring your ass home. <laughs> So I'm solo today. Me and Alexia. What's up, Alexia? How are you? It's been a while. I know. I was so happy to see you today. I know. I walked in smiling and you were looking at me like, what's wrong with him? Yeah, but it was good. It was good. Good energy. It was good. It was good. Mm -hmm. Usually me and Chris start off with uh, a a small segment that we created called What Are You uh, Consuming? Where we talk about, um, mm. yeah, because often we'll get into the show and start talking about some stuff, and we're sure our listeners don't know what the hell we're talking about. Mm. But usually we do because we talk to each other all the time. So just to give them some insight into uh, something that we are consuming books, some music, or sure. TV shows, something like that. Yeah, I just started watching a show on Netflix called Abstract. Okay. Has anyone seen it? I have it. Nope. Cool. It's, um, it, t- it, look, it takes a look at these really brilliant designers in lots of different rights. So there's one guy does design um, with, like, light and glass, and um, another person does, like, toy design. Um, but they basically all kind of go through their the ways that they think about design and the ways that they think about solutions building. Um, and it's just, like, so great because it just gave me a couple of different frameworks to think about um, building solutions in other ways of my life. Um, yeah, I, so I just think it's it's brilliant for that purpose. And it's also just like a documentary that's like very well done. Okay. Yes. Okay. I'm going to check it out. You should. I, I can't, honestly, I've been consuming me. I don't know if that's. Go off. Say more. <laughs> okay. Say more. <laughs> like I've been more focused Please on. Say more. I've been more focused on me. Like I, 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 I don't know if I've. I haven't, I'm not reading any books that I haven't already read, so I'm kind of redoing that. Not really listening to a lot of music, even though I keep hearing that music is like a, important. Mm-hmm. So I feel like I should listen to more music. I, I haven't been watching a lot of TV, mostly because um, I've been kind of busy. I've been playing this game on my phone that I got tell myself I got to stop playing because it's a distract. Like I'll, I'll start playing it 45 minutes later. I'm like, one more game. Um, but aside from that, man, I'm just doing a lot of self-reflection and thinking about the things I want and how I'm going to get there. I, uh, if it is a book that I've been reading, Think and Grow Rich, but I don't, I don't even, um, you know, I might read a few pages here and there. For the most part, I'm just trying to be more honest with myself, man, and what I want and how I'm going to get there and do that dirty work that I want to do. So yeah, you I'm know, proud Omari's of you. been That's consuming good. Omari. Thank you. Yeah. Um, what have you come up with so far? That's that's the voice of our <laughs> guest. Let me introduce it real quick. So I've been let me say, bite my tongue. I know, I, I know, I know, I know, I know. So um, today uh, we're interviewing somebody who's multifaceted, right? He's he's uh, he's uh, he's multi hyphenated. He's done a lot of things. I don't like to brag, but you know, go ahead, go ahead, <laughs> read on, brother, read on. But I um, I came across him. Well, first, let me say, 
some of the things that you've done. Not all of them, because it's a long list. But you're an author, right? You wrote a couple of books. Yep. You've hosted some TV and radio programs. Mm-hmm. You're an educator. Mm-hmm. You're an artist, mm-hmm. a, a leather craftsman. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you showed us some of your stuff. Yeah, work with leather too. Really yeah. dope stuff. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Um, but anything you want to add aside from what we're going to talk about today? That's a good start. That's I mean, start. we might. I, think, roll, I we feel might like we're going to touch it. all we'll, those we'll things. We'll probably roll into it at some point. But the thing that that uh, entrepreneur, you know. <laughs> All around great guy, you know. Uh, the thing that that attracted me to you was that you're uh, a marriage and relationship therapist, mm-hmm. and so aside from the people that you see on social media that you know give you a lot of quotes and they give you the two minute uh, talk about what you should do to mm-hmm. be a better man, mm-hmm. um, I don't see a whole lot of male marriage or relationships therapist not a lot so, of us exist yeah so yeah. i was i was impressed mm-hmm. and then you know of course i think everybody has an issue with a relationship mm-hmm. or a concern with a relationship right? universal yeah right so i was like yeah this is definitely a person to have i know me and chris talk about relationships on the show off the show right. and so i was like yeah this should be somebody and you're black I, uh, I, marriage I, and re- I am i've been told i was black <laughs> I'm marriage and relationship therapist. Yeah, so that's you, another man. that's another piece. That's yeah. something else that I don't think we see I was about to say they can't. They don't know that on the podcast. It's right. very important. Or they can't tell by my voice. <laughs> they can't oh, tell no. the soul in my voice. <laughs> so what what was it, man? That made you say, "Well, Tariq Omari." Thank you for having me here, Omari, brother Omari Walton. Yes, yes. I don't want to get you. You know what's funny? Um, Chris asked me what what your last name was. Mm-hmm. You know, we were talking to him about the show, right? And I was listening to a podcast coming over the Ti podcast, okay. And he was interviewing um, Nick Cannon, okay. And they were making a joke about how all which is, these, which is funny, that's my mother's maiden name, Cannon. Cannon? Yeah, they were making a joke <laughs> about um, the last name Brown. Mm-hmm. So when I was saying your name, the name Brown popped into my head. Anyway, really, <laughs> Tariq, Tariq Omari Walton, Tariq Omari Walton. Thank you, bro. but Omari Francis. Yes. <laughs> The Omari connection. You can't, you can't get no better than that. <laughs> Lexi, hey, how you doing over there? I'm great. I'm so excited for this conversation. And I'm excited to be here. Thank you guys <laughs> for having me. So why, why relationship counseling? All right. So got to go back a little bit. Got to go back a few years. So I'm a writer, like you, like you mentioned. Mm-hmm. And I wrote my first book back in 2002. Completed my manuscript in 2002. I ended up self-publishing it in 2004. And so I've always felt like the past 20 years, I've been writing nonstop. Um, finished the second book in 2005. And while I was writing that second book, I'm just out in the community. You know, I, I'm one of those type of people, I engage people everywhere I go, or people engage me. And so I'm out in the community writing, and people will always stop me behind my laptop, just very curious about, what, you know, what's this black kid doing here writing? Right. And so I'll tell them, hey, I'm, you know, I'm working on another book. For some reason, people began telling me their stories. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, every story ended up being a conversation about relationships. Mm-hmm. Now, this is summer 2005, mm-hmm. like for two straight months. And so I'm hearing all these stories, and I found myself giving like the same kind of feedback over and over and over again. And I got to this point where I'm like, man, I'm getting tired of telling people the same thing all the time. I need to write a book, another book. But this one about relationships. All the other books I've written was fiction. I've just been doing fiction for a long time. Right this point i'm like okay let me talk about relationships so i took about six months four to six months to just do research interview people you know really do firsthand research i wasn't getting to the books i wanted to talk to people so i had my journal i'm going around asking all these questions i'm writing answers down getting all these different perspectives 
And so I finally sat down to write the book in about February of 2006. Five weeks, bam, knocked it out. Hmm. That book was entitled, It's Just a Damn Date, Why We Expect Too Much Too Soon. Hmm. And that came out in June of 2006. Everything just happened that was that six months of, the first six months of June. And from there, so many different things began to happen. So many doors began to open. Um, I started hosting this, this weekly discussion forum at this cafe in Mount Rainier, Maryland, every week, you know, and you know, incorporating different movie scenes and just talking about relationships from there. I started hosting, um, co-hosting a radio talk show at a local D.C. station every Saturday night for four hours. So we were talking about relationships and everything else. Um, I just found myself being consumed with relationship talk, but I didn't have any credentials. Mm. So the same people you're talking about that you see online, right? you know, in uh, Instagram right. and everywhere else and just giving quotes and, you know, talking about this and that and, oh, I'm a life coach, all that stuff. I was that dude. I had no credentials, but I had all this knowledge just from all these conversations I had. And so I got to a point where I kind of peaked at what I wanted to do. You know, we were talking off air about the things that we want to do and trying to figure those things out. Yeah. And I was saying to you that for a long time, I'm just kind of floating doing all these different things. And so, you know, I started doing my TV talk show in 2010, um, you know, doing a radio show. I'm, I'm producing my own relationship segment on the radio show. Um, I'm doing all this stuff. And my goal at that point was like, I'm just going to be a talk show host. That's what I want to do. I want to be a talk show host. But I kind of peaked because I didn't have the credentials to really do what I wanted to do. I kind of peaked. Mm. At that point, I said, okay, I need to go back to grad school. What am I going to study? I'm going to do psychology. I like talking to people. I like listening to people's stories. Mm. I figured this would be a great way for me to both be able to help people as well as create my own lane for what I wanted to do. Get into psychology, counseling psychology. End up finding out there's actually a program at the University of Maryland to do couples therapy. The marriage and family, the couples and family therapy program. I'm like, that's what, that's where I need to be. Yeah. So I applied to the program, got in, came to find out this is the only licensing program in the entire state of Maryland for marriage and family therapy. Wow. In the 30-year history of the program, I'm only the either fourth or fifth black male to graduate from that program, to complete the program and graduate, and then get licensure. And so here I am, state of Maryland, one of only a few, a handful, literally a handful of black male marriage and family therapists. But that was my road to get there. I knew I wanted to work with relationships. I knew I wanted to work with couples. I knew I wanted to be in this field. But once I found this specific lane, I jumped at it. And so here it is, few years, two years into my own private practice and, you know, working on some new books, writing articles and everything for, you know, different websites. Um, I'm, doing, I'm doing what I want to do. But it took me a long time to get here. Like I said, I've been around doing all this stuff, but ultimately it all brought me back to where I needed to be. You, your practice is more than just uh, talking though, right? Because you do mindfulness, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I emotional, specialize, I specialize emotional awareness. In, yeah, emotional awareness, intimacy, do a right. lot of intimacy work. Um, but the mindfulness is big. The emotional awareness is very big, especially in our community. Right. You know, I do a lot of work with black males in particular. I do a barbershop talk at this barbershop in Southeast D.C. And once a month I go in and we have conversations about mental health, about relationships, about emotional, you know, regulation and everything. And my goal has always been to make sure that whatever knowledge I gain from my studies and from my experiences, I bring it back to my community. And so I'm out here talking to these brothers, realizing that one of the major factors in um, the issues that we have in relationships are the way that we connect and the way that we communicate. Mm-hmm. That sense of, of emotional intimacy. Without 
having proper what, emotional awareness. What is what is emotional awareness? Emotional, well, emotional awareness or emotional intimacy? Which one? Both. Both? Okay. <laughs> um, emotional awareness is being able to label, to recognize and label and regulate your emotions. Okay. And so oftentimes, prime example, had a conversation with the brothers in the, in the barbershop, and I opened up saying, you know, you know, we have this stereotype about black men being angry. Why is that? Why is it that this stereotype exists about black men? Answer. Everyone in the, in the, in the um, barbershop says, because we are. We are angry. <laughs> I'm like, okay, respect. I got you. I got you. I see, I see what you're saying. But give me an example. So the lead barbershop um, barber says, well, this guy's probably in his mid to late 50s. He says, I'm raising my 16-year-old daughter by myself. Um, the other day I'm leaving out. I asked her to do something. She's home all day long. I come back. She didn't get it done. So I got angry. I yelled at her. She got defensive and ran off to her room. Mm-hmm. I said, okay, so you said you got angry in that situation, right? Yeah, I got angry. So let me break this down. What you also said was that you asked her to do something. You got home. She hadn't done it. So to me, I'm thinking I would either be disappointed or disrespect, feel disrespected, right? Yep. It's like, okay, yeah, yeah, I can see that. So just imagine for a second, instead of responding to your daughter in anger, What if you said to her, I'm disappointed in you? How would that change the conversation? Mm -hmm. He's like, oh, I never thought about that. And that's the key. Being able to specifically identify what you're feeling and not going off of your reaction. Mm. Now, we break things down to, you know, primary and secondary um, uh, um, emotions. Your secondary response is your anger, is your fear, is even your joy. But recognizing there are a whole maraud of other feelings that lead into that. So identify what the initial feeling is and communicate that. If you're, only, if you're only communicating the anger, people will never understand what's going on with you. Right. But to build better bridges of understanding with other people, especially with communicating with your, your spouse, you have to really be specific about what it is that you're feeling. Whether it's disappointment, whether it is um, unease, whether it is feeling misunderstood. But being able to identify those things so people can better understand where you're coming from. Okay. And so that's that's what emotion that's the, the basis of emotional awareness. Okay. And then understand that once you are better informed about your own feelings, and also being being able to identify what other people are feeling without them necessarily being able to say it, at least being aware of what's happening. Once you have that, now you can build better emotional bonds, emotional intimacy, because you can share these things more freely, and it makes you feel closer. So if someone's able to communicate with you more directly what they're feeling, you're going to feel closer to that person. Mm-hmm. That's that emotional intimacy. A lot of times I think, I'll speak for myself, it's hard because I may be aware, right? I can say that I am um, feel insecure about something mm-hmm. and I'll mask it with, you know, I don't know, blaming mm-hmm. her for something. Right. Um, I may not want to say I feel insecure because I'm... I don't want, I don't know what the feedback is going to be, mm-hmm. right? Yep. And so I don't say what it is I'm really feeling mm-hmm. because I don't know how it's going to be received. I don't know if it's going to be used against me. I mm-hmm. don't know if it's going to be this. I don't know if it's going to be that. Mm-hmm. So what should I do? <laughs> like, I know obvi- so, the obvious so, answer is, well, you should just, you know. No, no. Okay. Let me say it like this. Whenever I get into a conversation around um, emotional awareness, especially with black men, mm-hmm. I always 
qualify by saying there's never been a time. I'm a historian as well. That's what I went to school for initially. I was. I used to be a social studies teacher a very long time ago. Okay. So first time I went to grad school was for history. Um, T- so I'm, Tariq, I'm Tariq is 69, y'all. <laughs> he's not. He's I'm not 70, I'm, 70, I'm 72. <laughs> so um, I always come from a historical and, and cultural perspective. Uh-huh. I always say that there's never been a time in American history where a black man could feel safe to express his emotions. Mm. There's never been. During slavery, there would be consequences. Um, you know, beyond slavery, once you get into uh, Reconstruction and on into um, um, separate but equal, you know, segregation and everything, mm-hmm. there's always consequences anytime a black man shows his emotions. Whether it's someone taking advantage of you in your own neighborhood, whether it's oftentimes your spouse or other family members looking at you like you're weak, um, whether it's, you know, on your job site and, you know, your spirit being crushed by whatever, you know, if you're expressing something, right. there's never been a time in American history where a black man could feel safe to express himself. Right. So even today, black men have a very hard time expressing themselves because, one, they've been taught to not do that because it leaves you vulnerable mm-hmm. to being injured. But two, many times, with even with our, our, our significant others, they have a hard time receiving it because they haven't seen it before. They haven't dealt with it before. And so they don't do much to really make, help you feel safe. Okay. And so, no, you don't feel safe to express yourself because you've never been given the room to do it. And, yeah, you're left fearful for how people are going to respond to you because, again, you haven't had the experience of anybody really receiving it well. But, which is, I, I, I agree, mm-hmm. but then I've also learned that in a relationship, um, someone has to set the tone, someone has to lead. But you have to be intentional about that. So now that you recognize that, now that you recognize you need a safe space to be able to, to, be able to express yourself, mm-hmm. now you have to have an intentional conversation and communicate that with your significant other. Mm-hmm. Help them understand that this is what you need. If you want me, I have, I have sisters, I have actually women in general who come into my office, because this, this is not just black men. Right. You know, men of every background suffer from a lot of same things we do for different reasons, though. But I have women who come in and say, I want him to be more emotionally expressive. But I always tell them, are you ready to receive it? Because this has to be part of the conversation. If you're not ready to receive whatever maraud of emotions he's going to show you, then it's not going to last. Because the one time that he does try to open up to you and you shut him down, he'll never open back up again. Mm -hmm. So you have to be very intentional in the way that you move forward with this. You have to have conversations about it. No one, you cannot expect anybody to know that this is what you need if you don't communicate that. So that has to be part of the conversation. But a lot of people don't do that. So that's where you begin. Make that part of the conversation. Baby, look it. You want me to be more emotionally expressive. I recognize the health, how healthy it is to actually be expressive and not hold that stuff in. What I need from you is to be able to hear me without judgment. So when I, if I do come and cry on your shoulder or if I do express anything, I need you just to be able to sit there and be with me. Not feel like you have to fix anything. Not feel like you have to do anything. I just need your ear. And I just need your support. Did you find any difficulty with being a male um, relationship therapist, at least in the beginning? I, I'll say I ask this because if I think of a male therapist mm-hmm. who's going to give me advice on relationship, I would think um, we don't give advice. We give tools. But go ahead. Give me tools. There you go. <laughs> I would I would think one, he's going to like be a man like I, you, you're the man, so you're supposed to do this. You're the mm-hmm. man, so you're supposed to do that. You're mm-hmm. the man, you know, like, one again, one of those those social media guys, it's right. like, as a man. Or I would think that 
the stigma is it's usually women that give that that advice and men don't have it's a, it's a female dominated it's a field fem, it's a female dominated field and men don't understand women enough to give advice on how best to deal with a woman right mm-hmm. so me, I would think if I want advice on how to have a better relationship with my partner, I should go to a woman because she would understand a woman better. Mm-hmm. So if I don't understand what you know my significant other is trying to communicate to me, I need to take that to a woman so she can translate it for me. Mm-hmm. As a man, I would go to you, and then we would be like, yeah, she crazy because this, she crazy because that, but that's not going to help me at that, home. Let me tell you right now, that would be a bad therapist who does that. But. I mean, this but is my thinking. Right, exactly. right. I got you. Right. Because right. I'm, I'm, this is how I, I would be with my friends. It's like we partnering on. We all have similar. Um, I don't want to say issues, but we, we all deal with the same things when it comes to relationships. Mm-hmm. Right? I have very similar perspectives. Similar, as well. Exactly. So right. when we talk about things, it's, we're kind of relating. Mm-hmm. And in most cases, most cases, even with, you know, somebody that I, I don't know very well and mm-hmm. we're talking, we all have a similar perspective or similar mm-hmm. experiences. Right. So I would think, yeah, black man, I'm a black man. You know, you a young guy, I'm a young guy. We we would have a similar conversation, and you mm-hmm. would just be feeding me the same stuff that I already get. And right. me knowing I need something more, mm-hmm. I I would I would hesitate to go to you. Honestly, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's funny. I get the complete opposite. But go ahead. Really? Yeah. What do you usually get? Usually and what do you I think get, about what I said? Well, this is going with what you just said. Because um, people often ask me, you know, well, are you married? Well, how can you give advice on on you know being a couple being? You're not married. No, I'm not married. I mean, okay. I've been I'm in a long term relationship, but I'm not married. Okay. Was that a choice, or do you? No, nah, just you know something building towards. Okay. You know, growing. Um, but what I break it down a couple ways. One is that would you expect your oncologist to have had cancer in order to be able to treat you? No. Exactly. So why would you expect your therapist to have been married in order to be able to treat you as well? It's about the train. You have to trust the training. You have to trust that I've been trained properly and I can help you with what you need. The second part is going back to the initial statement just about we don't give advice. We're not, we haven't been trained to give advice. We've been taught different tools. We have to kind of, like a doctor, look at you, analyze what's going on with you, and then give you the tools that you need to overcome whatever issues you're having. So we're basically prescribing medicine. That's what we're doing. I'm not giving you advice, you know, unless you're asking me and I'm, I'm giving you very, something very specific. You know you. And you know your relationship better than I do. You can go to anybody out here who might have been married for 40 years and talk to them about, you know, what's going on with you. And they're going to give you advice based off of their relationship. Right. Their relationship doesn't mirror yours. You can't rely on that. So you know your relationship better than anybody else. My job is to kind of look at which, what's going on with you guys, what missteps you're making, and say, okay, I believe this tool right here or these series of tools will help you do better with one another. I'm not going to tell you, hey, I think you should do this. I think you should do that. No. I'm going to hear what you're saying because I tell my, my clients all the time, the content of what's going on between you guys doesn't matter to me. My question is always, how did you handle it? What are you doing in response to these different things? Well, and so now, now I give you a tool saying, okay, well, this is how you can do it differently and see how that works. I think a lot of times you believe that the issue is the problem. Always. And it's not. So how do you get a person past the issue? By helping them bring up other issues that mirror exactly that same issue. Give me an example. So say, for example, that you and your spouse are always having a fight about um, something around the house. Right. Whether it's somebody doing the dishes or somebody taking out the trash or somebody, whatever it is. And oftentimes you'll find them talking about this one major blow up they had about this. 
But then as you explore, you find out, well, you've had this blow up many times about different issues. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, right now you're fighting about the dishes. But just a month ago, you guys had a big blow up about, you know, who's going to be taking out the trash or who's going to do this and other. So it's not about the actual issue at that time. It's how you guys are handling it. Mm -hmm. Why is it that you guys constantly fight about this? What's going on that you guys can't communicate in a way to better get past this issue other than the fighting? The fighting obviously isn't productive. Otherwise, you wouldn't be on my couch right now. Right. So what tools do you need to, to better communicate so that you won't keep fighting? It's not just about that one thing. You have a lot of other things that, you know, that, that mirror that, that you, not, you have not found a way to better communicate on. All right, guys, we're listening to uh, Tariq Omari Walton school us on uh, relationships. That Omari part is very important. Yes. That's right. He's a uh, licensed, you say what you are, a licensed, licensed marriage and family therapist. Licensed marriage and family therapist. You're listening to Window Seat. What are some tools that we could use to. Uh, Man. Just, well, like real okay. simple let and me, basic ones. Let me give you, it's funny, people always come into. Because, um, okay, go ahead. No, go ahead. Because no, what? Well, so I'm going to say communication is the, the one I always hear and I understand it's the most basic. Mm hmm. But I, when you receive, well, you got to improve your communication. Mm -hmm. How though? Like, you know, people will say do this, but they don't tell you how to do it. Right. Or you read to do this. There's, there's, a lot, there's a lot that goes into communication. There's a, whole, there's a whole series of things that go into communication. But let me say this. People often ask me, you know, as a couples therapist and you have people on your couch all the time, what's the one problem you run into the most? Is it communication? Is it finances? You know, is it family issues? And the one thing I tell people all the time, the major issue that I see coming through my door is effort. Mm. People not trying. So whether it's communication, whether it's finances, whether it's domestic labor, whatever it is, oftentimes effort is the issue. You're not trying. Someone in the relationship isn't trying or you're not, you're not trying in a way that's effective for your relationship. So effort is everything. You have to put the effort forward. You have to be, intentionality is everything. You have to be intentional in what you're doing. People say, well, it doesn't feel natural. It doesn't feel organic. Well, your natural organic ain't working for you. <laughs> so you have to try something different. And until it becomes more organic for you, where it feels natural, you just have to keep practicing it. So when it comes to communication, the major issue around communication is people not understanding one another, not taking the time to understand one another, or at least not expressing an understanding for your partner. That's validation. Being able to validate what your partner is saying. Or what they're feeling, more so what they're feeling. And so you have people who say, well, if I validate them, then they'll think they're right and I'll never hear the end of it. Cause, so now it's a competition? Now you guys are at war? Let's get past that part. Understand that when you're validating somebody, it's not so much about them being right. It's you saying that from your perspective, I understand where you're coming from. Not saying that what you're saying is absolute truth. All I'm saying is that I understand what you feel based on this situation and based on who you are. Now I need to give you my perspective. Now, once we give each other our perspective and we understand each other, that leaves room for consensus. But as long as you're not even hearing your partner or allowing them to express themselves or you don't want to take on the guilt or the burden of what they're feeling, you have nowhere to move to. But the first step in communication is just simply validating what your partner's saying. Then we can get into the whole, okay, so as a person expressing what you're feeling, are you doing that properly? Are you doing that in a way so that your partner can understand you? You know, get away from the blaming part saying, you know, 
you do this and you do that. No, don't say that. Say, well, when you do these things, this is the effect it has on me. This is how I feel. So when you get up in the morning and don't give me a kiss before you go out the door, it makes me feel rejected. And they're not blaming them. I'm just saying this is how I feel. I'm not saying you're wrong, but this is how I feel. Mm-hmm. Now that gives your partner the opportunity to say, okay, I understand you feel rejected when I don't do this. So maybe I need to do that more. Or what can I do to make you not feel rejected? You sound like you know what you're talking about. Come on, man. You must got a degree. Come on, this. man. This is why y'all pay me the money. You must have bought a, wrote a book or two. I did. <laughs> I did. And I'm working on some more, you know. But that's the thing. You but know? that what you're describing is one side of it, right? Mm-hmm. So if you, if you go into a relationship mm-hmm. and you have all of these tools mm-hmm. and you're using them. Mm-hmm. Well, let's say it's, you know, of course, relationships started off good. You didn't even have to use tools because shit was good, right? right. And um, things happen in a relationship. Mm-hmm. And it gets to a point where things aren't good anymore. Right. And you got to use tools. Now, you're not the therapist, but you have some experience. So you're trying to use these tools. Mm-hmm. But you can recognize in the other person that they don't. And you can, you, they, they may not have the tools. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, maybe some of the barriers that they have are because of you, mm-hmm. right? Like, so maybe you've done some things right. that cause yeah. them to build barriers. Mm-hmm. Wow. What, what do you do? And well, at what point do you say, you know what, enough is enough? Recognize, though, you know, if you have the tools because I gave them to you, more than likely your significant other has them too because you're both in there with me. No, this okay. is just a person just who's never met with, met, uh, been okay. in a, this is okay. a, a relationship no one has ever been, uh, mm-hmm. see, you, they haven't seen a therapist. Okay, then y'all, y'all need to sit down with a therapist then. That's what I was yeah, saying. But that's, that's the first difficult. Thing. Like a lot of times people aren't comfortable uh, meeting with therapists. And so that's, they may that's, hear, been, that's been a historical issue, but that stigma is beginning to break too. You know, majority, I'm a black male therapist in a very black area. Yeah, and so I have mostly black clients. Yeah, but the history had it been ten years ago, that probably wouldn't have been the, the that wouldn't have been my story. Right. You no, know, but now because of a lot of the talk around mental health, people are being more open to sit down with a therapist. And a lot so of that's times, beginning to happen. Therapists don't. All therapists aren't good therapists. So I just you, had a conversation yesterday. That's true. So you can sit down with someone and they may not they may be giving you advice instead and then of giving keep you find, tools. Find somebody who is. How do you know? If you've never done this before. You have to sit down. You just have to sit down. Like anything else. If you're gonna buy a car, you have to test drive different cars, right? Right. So you get out and test drive. You get out and test drive. You're not buying anything. You're not stuck with it. You sit down with somebody one session, two sessions, realize, hey, we're not vibing like that. Cool. I can make another recommendation for you. Maybe someone else would be a better fit for you because mm-hmm. my personality may not jive well with you. Mm-hmm. So let me find somebody who might help, might be a better help for you, better fit for you. But if you said you, your job is to give tools and not advice, what if I sit down with somebody who's giving me more advice and tools, but I don't know that I need tools instead of advice and I'm and everything is good. I'm like, okay, I'm going to do what they said. Mm-hmm. And we're trying these things and it seems like it's working, but and it's because we're going to this person once or twice a week. And mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? Right. We don't have, so when we're not seeing them anymore, we don't have the tools. Exactly. Right. And, so, and that's when you'll realize that the advice doesn't work. But then we didn't waste it six months or a year. And It's not a waste if you guys are still together and still willing to work on it. Okay. It's never a waste. So then that would, does that answer my question? How do you know when it's time to say, I'm done with this? Yeah. If and you're still willing to work on I'm it. A, I'm going to tell you this. As a couples therapist, I tell people all the time, my job is not to keep you guys together. Right. You know, so I've had people who've decided, okay, after, you know, going through a bunch of sessions with me, decided, okay, this isn't working for us, so I want to get a divorce. 
that has nothing to do with me. That's where you are. Mm-hmm. You know, I've, I've, I've had, I remember having a couple where I gave them all these tools. And then after, you know, 20, 25 sessions in, she's like, I just don't want to do the work. I don't want to be here. I don't want to be with you. Yeah, he's doing a great job giving us what we need to make it work. But I don't want to make it work. I don't want to be here. Mm-hmm. I have no control over that. So my job isn't to keep you together. Damn, my job. for whoever that. But I know. I mean, it's heartbreaking. Yeah. Right? But that's the reality of it. Everyone's not meant to be together. Right. And so my job isn't, isn't to keep you together. If you decide that you want to make it work, I'm going to give you the tools that hopefully will push you in that direction. But if you decide that you being with this person isn't working for you, that's totally up to you. My job, I want to make sure that you are healthy either way. Mm-hmm. I want to make sure that you are emotionally, feeling emotionally safe, that you feel both physically, emotionally, mentally um, well. You know, And that means getting away from this person because that person's too toxic for you or they aren't making the effort or they're just not the right person. Then do what you have to do. I have no control over that. But if you want to make it work, I'm going to do everything in my power to help you make it work. And do you feel like you found your calling? I've had a lot of callings. And I will say this, going back to the whole biography and all the things I did, like doing this radio thing right now, mm-hmm. I've been doing radio for damn near 30 years. I mean, literally 28 years. 1992 is when I began. Uh-huh. Having had the t- all the time I've had on air has given me the skill to be able to do this well. But going back to school and getting the knowledge has given me the, the platform in order to do it better. So, like I said, I was on air for eight years uh, here locally in D.C. talking about relationships. And I knew some stuff. And I still touch on some of that now. But having gone back to school, I have such a broader base of knowledge that I'm much more effective than I ever was. And so I had my calling. I've had several, I'm still a writer. I'm always going to write for the rest of my life. Right. I've had several callings, and I will always be those things. But this is a thing that has really solidified everything and brought everything full circle. So now I can be much more effective in helping people in whatever way I'm meant to do. Hmm. Do you think helping people, though? Because if you're writing books, you're providing information Mm -hmm. through therapy. Mm -hmm. I know you said you do work um, in Southeast at a barbershop. Mm -hmm. All of those things to me are a form of like service. Yeah, everything I do. I have the great benefit of having had the opportunity to go to school, um, have had the parents that have had to kind of push me and direct me. Um, I've had benefits that other people haven't. Who would I be to sit back? I owe it to my ancestors. I'm a, when I talk about African-American, I have roots on all sides that lead back prior to the Civil War. So, you know, I have, you know, free people in my family and I've had slaves, you know, in my, enslaved people in my, in my um, DNA. I owe it to them to do whatever I can to help people. They sacrificed so much for me to be here that if I'm not taking these opportunities that I've been given, the, the, the wealth of knowledge I've been able to gain by having these opportunities, if I'm not using that information to help other people, then I'm not really doing nothing at all. Did you always have that clarity or was it something that came to you, you know, throughout all the experiences that you had? Because I, I've heard people say that before, mm-hmm. but then I think there's two, three times as many people that would say they don't know why or what they're doing mm-hmm. or why they're, why they're doing what they're doing. I think, so going back to high school, I almost failed my sophomore year of high school. Not because I wasn't smart. You know, I was plenty smart. I could study, you know, for a final exam and pass and be good. 
but I don't, I'm super social. And so I wasn't really focused in school at all. I was hanging out, chasing girls. I was, you know, I was chilling. And so I almost failed my sophomore year of high school, you know, had to go to summer school, never wanted to do that again. My junior year, I took my first black studies course. And after reading the autobiography of Malcolm X and some other things that, you know, um, the souls of black folks and all that stuff, um, I gained a better awareness of who I am and who my people are. And from that point, as I began to understand my ancestry better, at least where I came from, even if I didn't have the specifics, which I have now, um, that kind of helped to refocus me and say, okay, I do have a purpose here. I owe it to them. It's always been, ever since I was 16 years old, my thing has always been, I owe it to them to do the best that I can. And so from there, the discipline has been off the hook. You know, with everything that I do, I'm much more, I've always, I mean, for, you know, for all that time, I've been very, very focused um, because I want to make sure that I'm doing something that's going to benefit other people. You know, so when I first went to college, I went to school to be, a, I first went to college to be a psychologist because I wanted to do what I'm doing right now. Right. My first year in, I decided to go into education. I wanted to be a teacher. And so even then, I knew that I wanted to serve in some kind of way. I have a, I'm very comfortable in front of audiences. So when I actually ended up teaching, I realized I wasn't teaching. I like I just like being in front of audiences. You like the attention. I, I like to communicate with right, big groups right, of people. Right, okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> but but it's always been about educating in whatever fashion I can. So as a therapist, I'm an educator. When I am teaching college courses, I'm an educator. When I'm in the barbershops, I'm an educator. Everything I do is about education. But that's only because I've had the opportunity to learn this information. I have the skills to synthesize it in a way that's going to benefit other people. Mm-hmm. So I have to do, I'm driven to do that. That is just, that's deep in my bones to do that. And so, you know, again, if, I, if I'm not doing that, I'm not walking in my proper path. And so everything for me, again, is service, but it's service through educating. Can you give us a tool? Um, what kind of tool you need, man? What you need? What you I, need? I, I want a tool to help me help us not in just a romantic relationship but maybe in a family relationship or in a every a working relationship just in the everyday relationship because relationships are all of our interactions mm-hmm. with people are, is some form of a relationship right. and i think a lot of times when we think about things that are going on we focus on the thing that i guess affects us the most emotionally which is probably a significant other or a family member mm-hmm. but you know all of our relationships affect us whether we realize it or not Mm -hmm. so even just as you know one of the things you use one of the tools that you use Mm -hmm. in order to educate people is mindfulness Mm -hmm. and so what what tools can we use on a day-to-day basis just to be in a better space personally Mm -hmm. and just you know interacting with people and not absorbing their energy if it's not mm-hmm. if it's negative right yeah i would say like you just mentioned mindfulness mindfulness is a big one you know for the, those people who don't understand what mindfulness is mindfulness is really being aware and in the moment being aware of your surroundings and where you are what you're feeling you know using all five of your senses to really just absorb yourself into the moment so mindfulness is big so even when it comes to relational activities talking to anybody being mindful of where you are and being connected to that person in the moment, not letting your mind wander, not trying to um, anticipate what they're going to say, but just listening to what they're saying and being completely in that moment with them. So that's number one, being mindful of where you are and what you're doing in that moment. To go along with that, the second thing would be ask questions. 
oftentimes we're having conversations with people and we're just saying stuff. We're not asking probing questions. Even in our relationships, in our, in our romantic relationships, we're not asking a lot of questions. We're making assumptions. We're hearing what we want to hear. We're just going, you know, by each other. Ask more questions. We don't ask questions. We think we know it all or we don't ask because we don't want to be burdened with all that other stuff that they're probably going to share. Um, but if you want to have stronger relationships, you have to ask more questions. You want to understand where they're coming from. You want to know what they're experiencing. Um, even, if it's not, even if it's not about you helping them, it's just about understanding people better. So you have to have that element. And then the last one is to do it without judgment. Mm-hmm. You know, it's easy to sit back and say, oh, they're crazy. Oh, oh, that's stupid. But imagine having a conversation. Imagine someone talking to you and talking to you without judging you, no matter what you're talking about. Kind of hard to imagine, right? Yeah, impossible to imagine. It's it would it, the idea though is is I, I would love that. Then do that. You can't control what anybody else does. All you can do is control what you do. That's funny because that you kind of just answered my my next question, mm-hmm. which was what if I don't? What if I want? I don't want to hear what somebody else is dealing with. I don't want to understand their shit right now because mm-hmm. I got my shit that I want to express, and I got my stuff that I want dealt with, and I got my stuff that I want to get off my chest, mm-hmm. and. I don't want to hear what you got to say because I got something to say and I don't want to focus on you or whatever mm-hmm. understanding you need me to understand because I want to be understood and then I want you to do what I need you to do <laughs> so I feel better <laughs> because you know what I'm saying like and mm-hmm. I think that's the reality of a lot of times you have two people who want you know I got my I'm in my corner they're in their corner and but why are you guys in separate corners you know what I'm saying I have this this quote on my wall in one of my offices that just says essentially that um, you know, what makes a healthy relationship are two independent people who are working to help bring out the best in the other person. Mm-hmm. You know, that, and I'm not criticizing you, yeah. but that's a very selfish perspective to come from. Right. You want, you want, you want. Life isn't just about you. Mm-hmm. You're living a shared experience with all these other people around you. Mm-hmm. You may have to hear other people for them to be able to hear you. So sometimes you just have to take yourself out of the equation and just be there for somebody else. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, you know, and you do that trusting that they're going to do the same thing for you. It's really about trusting other people that they're, they're going to be um, selfless enough to do the same thing for you. Right. And so it's all about just those shared experiences. And so, yeah, you have a lot going on. You feel a lot of pressure, too. But if you're not being there for somebody else, who's going to be there for you? So you just have to. You just have to get. You have to let yourself go sometimes. And sometimes, you know what? I know when I'm sitting in session with my clients, I am completely present. I'm not worried about my life outside of the office. I'm there for them because that's what they need. All the time, you're completely present? You for the most part. Because, like, again, I love stories. I'm a storyteller, and I love to hear other people's stories. So I'm going to sit there and really absorb what they're saying because also when you're working with couples, there's a lot of connections you need to make. So you can't miss a lot. Right. You have to be very, very present in that. Um, and so, but the thing about that is, I'm left in a place where I'm not sitting there thinking about my own life right now. I get to escape my own world because now I'm wrapped in yours. Right. You know, so if you think about it from that perspective, yeah, you have all this stuff going on, but imagine being able to let that go for a little while and be intertwined in somebody else's world and just be there. And this is why people smoke all the time. Like I said, I do drug prevention work at, you know, at Bowie State University. When I talk to the students, I talk to them about the coping strategy, the unhealthy coping strategies they have with the smoking and the drinking and stuff like that, too, because there's so much stuff that we're going through that we're not dealing with. In order to be able to just find relief from it for a period of time, you may go smoke a blunt for a little while. 
because you're just looking for relief. And there are healthier ways to find that relief. And some of it that can be in conversation with other people. Think about the times that you have a lot going on, but the times you just sit around with your boys and y'all just build it. Right. You know, y'all just break this stuff down and, you know, y'all, y'all, you know, y'all get into scientific levels on stuff. Right. How good does that feel? Feels real good. Because you're escaping your everyday world. You're right. You don't need anything else. It's the same thing where you're just having a one-on-one conversation. You have to treat it the same way. It's about your perspective and the way that you're approaching it. If you let yourself go and just enjoy what you have in that moment, nothing else will matter right then. You, that's not saying that's gone anywhere. You just have to deal with it. But at least you get that momentary escape. Let yourself, just let yourself escape. Hmm. She's <laughs> Alexia is flat. Sorry, y'all. Alexia, you got to do better, uh, man. You distracted me flashing this on. <laughs> All right, um, Tariq, thank you for coming. Please tell everybody uh, for me, how they could how they could get in touch with you if they want to hire you <laughs> to talk to their to their kid. You do a lot, man. Drug prevention. I do, man. Uh, I therapy. I got like someone asked me, you know, what's your website? I'm like, which one? Because I got like seven websites, right. you know, for all the different things that I do. Um, so if you want to find me on social media, it's Tariq Omari Walton. Yeah, it's a lot to spell out. But if you just put in Tariq with two I's, it's T-A-R-I-I-Q. I'm going to probably pop up first. There's not, I don't think there's anybody else out there that spelled Tariq with two I's. Um, but once you do that, all my stuff will pop up. But yes, yeah, Tariq Omari Walton or Tariq Omari on all my um, uh, um, social media sites. Um, my websites, if you just put in, again, if you just put in Tariq Omari Walton, all this stuff will pop up. You'll be able to find me there. The name of my private practice is Insight Marriage and Family Therapist. You pull that up, um, you can contact me right there. Your books, what books? Oh, man. So right now I have four books. I have three novels. Um, I have Broken and Mr. Bachelor. Mr. Bachelor is a sequel to Broken. Um, uh, Broken came out in 04. Mr. Bachelor came out in 09. Um, I have Crystal's Tears, which is another fun novel that came out in 07. And you have my big one, It's Just a Damn Date. Why we expect too much too soon? That came out in 06. All those are available online um, on Amazon. And then I have two books that I'm, trying, I'm working on this um, this summer. You know, and it's all about one is about emotional health, and the other one is about um, helping clinicians work better with black men. It's just a damn date. You think that was written more for men or women? It's written for everybody. And it's funny because people always say, "Well, that's a man's thing." Men always say that. I was like, "No." Nah. When I did my research, first of all, a woman gave me that title. But uh, when I did my research, more women were in that place, especially divorced women over the age of 35. They were in that place of, and it's just a damn date. I'm not trying to be wrapped up in anything right now. I just want to enjoy myself. So mm-hmm. that's for everybody. Okay. All right. And uh, just if you could give us a, a final word, if you wanted to leave a message or something, a tool. I'm going to use that word a lot now. A <laughs> tool? Because that's what they are, the tools. Something for our listeners to, to take with them. Love now. Don't wait. Love now. Put your energy into it right now. You know, what are you holding back for? Love right now. You get it, right? That's right. Lexi, you get it. Love now. <laughs> Exclamation point. Well, that's that. Love now. Thank you uh, for listening. If you want to hear this show or any other show, you can find us at windowseat.fullserviceradio.org. Or on any platform that you listen to podcasts, just search Windows Seat. And if anyone hasn't told you today, we love you.